The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at First, first Listen. Listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys, and welcome to a new episode of Uni Therapy Podcast. My name is Kat, and I am the host. If you are new, welcome. So glad to have you. Just a quick reminder, as always, that even though I am a therapist, this podcast does not serve as a replacement for therapy, but it might ring a little bell somewhere in your body that says maybe we need to go. And today's episode is a little bit different, I think. It's less just straight up mental health related and more kind of like psychology related, which I guess those things are related to each other. But if you've been listening to this podcast, then you know that earlier this year, I read, well, when I say I read, I mean, I listened. I listened to the book Cultish by Amanda Montel, and it's so good. I cannot recommend it enough. And it's about the language of cults and how language is used to create cults and cult-like organizations. She also has a podcast called Sounds Like a Cult, where she like goes through different like mainstream things right now and talks about uh, what either might make them a cult or not make them a cult. So a lot stuck out for me in this book, but since we can't cover all of it, and I also want to support people reading or listening like me, this book, we're going to stick with just a couple of things. For starters, I want to talk about what makes something a cult, like what makes a cult a cult. Now, as of today, there's no universal definition that psychologists, sociologists, scholars, or professionals that work in the fields related to cults can agree on. Matthew Schmalz, who is a professor of religious studies at the College of Holy Cross, explained in an article from 2021 for The Conversation that scholars sometimes use the term cult to describe groups that have distinctive beliefs and high levels of commitment. The problem is the popular use of the word is often used to describe authoritarian groups that practice mind control or brainwashing. As an academic who teaches and writes about religion, I believe that the label cult gets in the way of understanding new religions and political movements. So today, I feel like 
using the word cult has become an easy way to criticize a group or an organization that just seems like strange or weird or scary or maybe too radical, something that you just don't understand. It's also been used to describe religious organizations that we just don't like. And I know that I've used it to describe many churches that feel from the outside controlling or strangely ritualistic and led by, like Matthew was saying, some authoritarian leader. But Amanda Montel discovered during her research for cultish that a longstanding joke in the academic world of cults is that cult plus time equals religion. Because any religion could be seen as a cult if it's looked at from an outsider's perspective, especially from somebody in a different culture. So what makes a cult a cult and religion religion? You also often hear people talking about brainwashing in reference to cults. Matthew Schmalz in that article referenced brainwashing above as a distinctive problem with the connotation of the word cult, which is the other big takeaway from Amanda's book that we're going to talk about. People use the term brainwashing to explain what popular cults do in order to find and keep members. But the issue with brainwashing is somewhat similar to that of the definition of cults. Now, it's not that the definition is unclear. We can define brainwashing. The problem is there's no way to determine if it's like actually a legit thing or not. Brainwashing is not a clinical term. In fact, it's actually a metaphor. And there's a big argument that is ongoing due to the inability to test if this is real or not, that this is in fact not possible. It's not possible to force someone to believe something. Rather, if you do believe something, it's because there is a part of you, whether it's big or small, that wants to believe it. So today we're diving into this debate. What makes a cult a cult? Are all cults bad? Is brainwashing real? Or are we underestimating our own power and free will? Many of you might be familiar with a documentary that came out at the end of last year and then recently again a couple weeks ago called The Way Down. This is about a cult-branded church in Brentwood, Tennessee, which is right by my house. It's called Remnant Fellowship. And if you aren't familiar with this church or documentary, I'm going to give you like the skinny. Now, the very skinny skinny. This is like the cliff's notes of the cliff notes. Remnant is a church that was founded by a woman named Gwen Shamblin that started gaining a following through her diet program called the Way Down System. The basics of the Way Down System were really you can only have so many bites a day. You need to pray to God to fill you up when you're hungry and you want to eat. And God essentially doesn't want you to be fat. And that's like a sin. And this documentary really hit me closer to home than I wanted to, because usually when I've heard about cults, they feel very separate from my own reality. I think about the Branch Davidians from Waco. I think about Jonestown and the drinking of the Kool-Aid. I think of Heaven's Gate and like the Manson family. That's what I think of when I think of like real cults. I think of these just out of this world situations. I don't think about a church that I grew up a couple miles from. I grew up hearing about Remnant and driving past it all the time. And I actually went to the church right next to Remnant for a couple years. And when someone met someone who went to Remnant, there was always gossip and there were always questions, but it kind of just like ended there. It was like, we think this is a cult, but we don't actually think that that place, or this was my experience, and actually think that place could ever be as dangerous and scary as these other cults that kind of seemed like fairy tales. Well, when I say fairy tale, I mean like nightmare fairy tales, if that's the thing. 
Then later, when I was working in the eating disorder field, and for those of you who are new or newer to the podcast, my specialty as a therapist has been eating disorders from the very start of my career. So as I'm working in this field, eventually the weigh down system started coming up in my sessions, like again and again and again. And I realized that this idea that for a lack of a better word sounded so crazy to me was more widely accepted than I had imagined. Like I could ever imagine. There were more people doing this than I ever thought possible. Now to a lot of people, this program at first just felt like any other diet program, except if you were a Christian, it was even better because while you were losing weight, you were also creating a better relationship with God and a better seat in heaven. So I thought it was crazy. Many people just thought, what a great idea. Now, this is not a podcast about remnant or the weigh down system. If you're interested in learning more about that, I do highly recommend watching that documentary. It's on HBO Max. The Way Down is what it's called. But I wanted to start here because there are plenty of members of this church who to this day are very happy being a part of this church. And while I'm not labeling it a cult and I'm not not labeling a cult publicly, if it is a cult, I think it's unfair to look at the people that are still involved as unwilling brainwashed humans without free will or the ability to think for themselves. And while watching the documentary, you may have thought things like, how could anyone join this and then stay in it? There has to be some kind of voodoo involved. They either have to be weak or dumb or they have to be brainwashed. But what I'm learning is maybe it's none of that stuff. So this brings us back to the seemingly simple ask, is brainwashing real? This question kind of reminds me of the episode I did on gaslighting and also the one we did on narcissism. Today, we're so quick to label any jerk a narcissist and any experience we have where we fall prey to a relationship with someone who ends up changing their minds, we call that gaslighting. Anytime someone tries to pursue us or pursue you or pursue somebody and then finds out that his feelings or their feelings aren't what they hoped for, it's love bombing when that often isn't what happened. It begs the question if everything is gaslighting, if everything is love bombing, if, if everybody's a narcissist, is any of that stuff even real? And it feels similar to beg the question, If every time we believe something that later seems crazy or seems crazy to outsiders as being brainwashed, is anything brainwashing? How would this happen so often? And how can this happen so easily? And then who can fall prey to that? Are we all just walking around brainwashed? Are we brainwashed about being brainwashed? It's a lot. So at the end of the Way Down documentary, a woman expressed her sadness in others judging her for getting involved in something, in quotes, so crazy. I think generally people who become involved in cults are looked at as weak. Everyone on the outside is thinking I'd never do that. That would never be me. Kind of how I felt about the weight on system before I met some of these people and heard their stories. Side note, I feel like I, this has to be said because I'm not like saying the way down is a good thing. I, I don't have one client who had an actual good experience from doing this or it ended well. So if you're like thinking, oh, that sounds nice. God and losing weight. Highly recommend steering clear. Although free will, you can do what you want. But I will say this program not only helped ruin their relationship with food in their bodies, it also in many cases muddied their relationship with God and Christianity. So it has really sucked and it's actually brought a lot of anger inside of me, which is not what we're going to talk about. We started talking about this incident, drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC 
was leading a secret double life. She's breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Getting back to what I was saying, truth be told, I've believed a lot of things that I think are really screwed up now. And I never believed these things because I wanted to hurt myself or others. Never. And I don't consider myself stupid or weak either. And to someone who gets involved in a cult, it doesn't usually look so crazy in the beginning. I don't think anybody actually would join something if they knew at the end of their life, it would be because they're going to engage in a mass suicide drinking Kool-Aid. I don't think that's how they bring people into cults or that's what is attractive about them. Just like a relationship with someone who in the end turns out to be a real asshole. In most cults, you will find stories of people who would have had otherwise described it as normal. We don't go into those relationships desiring to be manipulated or mistreated. We're attracted to something else. So what is it that draws people in and keeps them there? And when the sparkly picture that was originally promised becomes a little faded, why does it become so hard for people to get out? What I've learned is a lot of people join groups or cults as a way to join a movement to better themselves or to yet 
even more better the world. So I read about this woman named Lauren Huff, who spent a large portion of her life in the Children of God cult. And she said in in an article for The New Yorker that was written in 2021 by Zoe Heller, that people that join cults are often defeated surrenderers versus disillusioned, vulnerable people. The author of this article, Zoe Heller, wrote, despite Huff's enduring contempt for those who abused her, her experiences as a minimum wage worker in mainstream America have convinced her that what the children of God preached about the inequity of the American system was actually correct. The miseries and indignities that this country visits on its precariate class are enough, she claims, to make anyone want to join a cult. Lauren said, this is a quote from her in this article, people who choose to do so are not necessarily hapless creatures buffeted into delusion by social currents they do not comprehend. They are often idealists seeking to create a better world. Of her own parents' decision to join the children of God, she writes, all they saw was misery wrought by greed, the poverty and war, the loneliness and the fucking cruelty of it all. So they joined a commune, a community where people shared what little they had, where people spoke of love and peace, a world without money, a cause, a family. Picked the wrong goddamn commune, but who didn't? And I really like that because it brings back the humanness of people who are in these cults because a lot of times we look at them like they're half of a person or they have half of a brain. But these people are joining things because they get tired of the freaking messed up world we live in and they want something better. Because let me tell you, sometimes this world feels very messed up and sometimes I want something better. I started watching the HBO documentary on Nexium called The Vow. Now, I didn't finish it because it just seemed long, but I did enjoy what I did see. And I wrote down a quote from a former member. I don't know what his name was, but he said, nobody joins a cult. Nobody. They join a good thing and then they realize they were fucked. And sorry, I'm cursing more than I usually do in this episode, but I'm reading these quotes and I feel like I need to read the whole quotes because they add some oomph to them. Now, the infamous Nexium cult operated under the guise of self-help. It was a self-help multi-level marketing scheme, a way to better yourself. And the entry program they offered called Executive Success Program, which they uh, you called ESP for short, was marketed as a set of personal and professional development courses that taught strategies for people to overcome their, in quotes, like limiting beliefs. I think that's a word that they used a lot, their fears, their anxiety, and it would help them reach their highest potential. And who wouldn't want to do that? So if you see something and it's being marketed as that, like who wouldn't want to do that? What we see on the outside is the end result, the mass genocides, leaders in prison for sex trafficking, like people starving themselves for the sake of getting right with God. What we don't see is actually how, we, how they got there. And I think then we make up reasons of how somebody would get there. And I think of how most people get there is similar to the metaphor of the frog that ends up boiling itself to death. And it kind of goes that if a frog's placed in an already heated pot, the frog will jump out because it's hot. But if the frog's placed in like a cool pot and then slowly it's heated up and it's heated up and it's heated up, then the frog will think the conditions are not changing. It'll eventually be cooked and be dead. Now, apparently that's actually not true science, but the idea still fits because it's talking about a slow burn. I think these things are all slow burns. And also, I have to say this, and you can disagree with me, but it feels true. 
At first glance, Nexium sounds like a less visually appealing version of what a lot is offered all over Instagram with coaches and the workshops and the online programs who basically promise that like working with them will lead you to the same thing, a better life. I know how to help you. Like I'm an expert in this, except now these Instagram pages are beautiful and they like suck you in with the colors and the templates and the filters and all that stuff. So what makes those things safe, and maybe not all of them are, which I've talked about before, what makes those things generally safe? Maybe a little kooky, but then like a cult a cult. And are the people that are following those things, those coaches and those Instagram influencers and experts, are those people all brainwashed? I mean, honestly, is therapy brainwashing? I'm going to go ahead and say no. But yeah, like, well, I think it's like, what makes the difference here? It's a question that I don't think a lot of us think about. We just, when we don't like something, we call it brainwashing or a cult. And if we like something, we're like, oh no, I'm just becoming a better version of myself. But then like the people in the cults are thinking that too. Now, what's also interesting is as I was doing all this research and thinking, I was brought back to a couple of the most common things that I tell clients. One, I can't make you do, think, or feel anything. That's not my job. My job is to help you figure out what you want. And two, You can believe whatever you want and you can convince yourself of whatever you want. If you want to believe that you're a shitty person, you will be able to write me a list of reasons why. I may not agree with them, but that doesn't really matter if you agree with them. What you focus on, you will actually find. That's true, which parallels the idea postured in Amanda Montel's book that no one believes something unless there's a part of them that wants to believe it. And in therapy, we have a name for that. We call this the secondary gain. When clients continue a behavior or continue to carry a belief that is long overdue for a makeover, I'll ask them, so what are you getting from this? Often they'll reply, uh, I mean, nothing, duh. Like I'm not getting anything from this except bad stuff. And which I'll say back, well, that can't be true because if it wasn't helping in some way, it'd be a lot easier for you to stop doing it. It might not make sense logically or long-term, but this is working for you somehow. We just have to figure out how. So we end up believing things that are kind of harmful because they also help us. And often that like, how are they helping you is this false illusion of safety, something that feels safe when it's not. For example, someone who gives their partner like chance after chance. This is something I think more people can relate to than like getting sucked into a cult. (laughs) Maybe he or she has like cheated on them, but they keep going back and then they keep getting hurt and they may sit confused. Why am I doing this? when it's very possible that going back is carried by the underlying motivation of safety. I'm afraid that no one else will love me, maybe. And it could be a lot of different things. You can even think about, has that ever happened to you? Have you found yourself in a repeating behavior? And you're like, oh, what is it? Because it feels safe because the other option feels really scary, maybe because it's unknown. So maybe it's not brainwashing that's happening in cults. It's a fear response. We know that humans are wired for connection, and this can draw us to something and keep us connected to something. And if there is an installation of an irrational fear, such as no one else will accept or love you, we aren't talking brainwashing. We're talking survival. Now, this part might feel silly and it also might age me, which feels like a very strange thing to say because I'm 32 and I don't think I'm old, but I do call myself old all the time. But that's, again, not important. But who out there remembers chain emails? You know, you had the ones that were like, forward this to 27 people and Justin Timberlake will appear in your living room in three minutes. Or the ones that said, if you don't forward this email, something bad will happen. Like your dog will get run over by a car. Your house will get bombed. Okay. So who remembers those? And then who remembers actually forwarding those emails? 
And which ones did you forward? Because I can tell you that at times I sent both of them. And I can sit here and say I just did it for fun. But I also can question that. Like, did I? Or did I want to believe that I had a shot at meeting Justin Timberlake? So in the very small chance that he may show up, I'm going to try. And then there's no way that I would have been able to live with myself if I ended up killing my dog because I didn't send a simple email. So I sent that one too, because if there was some chance of something happening or something going wrong, like it's this fear response, I did it to stay safe. And I don't consider myself crazy or dumb, gullible, maybe that is debatable. However, I for sure consider myself someone who always wants to believe and hope for the best. And I'm also someone who has an active attachment system that constantly reminds me that connection is both necessary and at risk. We need connection. We long and thirst for this innately. We want to be part of something. And depending where you are in your life, the things we allow in and the things that we allow to make sense in our lives shifts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite. And together, you know how we do. We create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels. A story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but... 
you'll still feel guilty. Old rock icon Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. When asked why people join cults in a Rolling Stone article, Dr. Todd Gross, a Boston-based psychologist, said, it varies person to person, but if they're welcomed and received in a safe way that makes them feel a sense of belonging and offers an approval that perhaps they don't have in their lives, it can be a place where they feel someone really gets them. A charismatic and sincere approach from a demonstrative recruiter might be all it takes. And all of a sudden, they feel like they're part of a brotherhood or a sisterhood and treated in a way that makes them feel special with a chance to be something bigger than just themselves. So is this brainwashing or is this a case of good people looking for a better life, falling into the wrong community at the right time? Now, to come up with a better, more educated hypothesis, let's focus on where brainwashing even comes from. And I've kind of said this already, but I feel like brainwashing is one of those terms that we overly use, but do we really even know what it means? And I mentioned earlier that brainwashing is not a clinical term, but a metaphor. So let's dive into like where this actually comes from. This is from the same article that I mentioned earlier that I quoted Lauren Huff from, but that article from the New Yorker that was written in 2021 by Zoe Heller. And I will link these for sure for you guys so you can read the full articles because they're very interesting. But the article says the term brainwashing was originally used to describe the thought reform techniques developed by the Maoist government in China. This is cat talking. I might have pronounced that wrong. Its usage in connection with cults began in the early 70s. Stories of young people being transformed into Manchurian candidate style zombies stoked the paranoia of the era and for a time encouraged the practice of kidnapping and deprogramming cult members. Yet, despite the lasting hold of brainwashing on the public imagination, the scientific community has always regarded the term with some skepticism. Civil rights organizations and scholars of religion have strenuously objected to using an unproven and unprovable hypothesis to discredit the self-determination of competent adults. Attempts by former cult members to use the brainwashing defense to avoid convictions for crimes has repeatedly failed. Methods of coercive persuasion undoubtedly exist, but the notion of a foolproof method for destroying free will and reducing people to robots is now rejected by almost all cult experts. Even the historian and psychiatrist Robert Lifton, whose book, Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism, provided one of the earliest and most influential accounts of coercive persuasion, has been careful to point out that brainwashing is neither all-powerful nor irresistible. In a recent volume of essays called Losing Reality, he wrote in 2019, he writes that cultic conversion generally involves an element of voluntary self-surrender. And then this is me talking, end of the quote from that article. And what I have found is that many experts in this field will tell you that the seemingly crazy things people do in these so-called cults is less about brainwashing and more about what someone will do in the face of torture, fear, or threat to their safety. So we're taking this term that was kind of coined from torturing people and they would torture people into doing something versus they just like changed their mind and made them believe completely new things. People are acting out of fear. They are acting out of PTSD. They are doing something because they are 
afraid. Even when they're outside of it, they still can be afraid because trauma. Hello. It's not that their brains are completely screwed up. They're just really scared. And the other thing is it's not brainwashing that gets you to join the cult. I said this earlier. You don't join something thinking like, I hope they tell me all these crazy things and make me do all these crazy things. You can't be brainwashed before you start something. The people that are joining these cults and then maybe even developing to higher ranks of these cults aren't technically evil sociopaths. They join a good thing. In an article that I found on Penn State's website that was written by a woman named Jillian Locker, the article's titled Probing Question, Does Brainwashing Exist? She quoted the professor of sociology and religious studies at Penn State when talking about like, is brainwashing real or not? And Roger Fink, the professor, said the critics of these movements couldn't understand why anyone would actually join these. So they created the argument that leaders were using almost magical brainwashing techniques to recruit members. And then I'm going to read a quote from this article. And so this is going to be a mix of what Jillian's writing and then some quotes from Roger Fink. The Jonestown cult mass suicide in 1978, in which 909 members drank cyanide-laced flavored drink mix, served to further popularize the idea of brainwashing. From this catastrophe, the phrase drinking the Kool-Aid was coined, meaning someone who was blindly following the beliefs of a charismatic leader because of successful brainwashing. When these movements were studied systematically by social scientists, however, it was found that they had no powers of brainwashing. Fink, the professor that I mentioned above, stated propaganda and other methods of persuasion were used to make the movement look as attractive as possible to prospective members. But in the end, the vast majority of people that explored these movements never joined them. It was really only a tiny percentage that joined. So what drove those who did join? The testimonials of friends and family members, Fink says. When a close friend or family member tells you that a leader or belief has changed them into a new and better person, it's the most effective, in quotes, brainwashing that you can receive. He emphasizes that the power of friends and family to influence us plays a role not only in religious conversion, but political and social conversion as well. Propaganda and information control may get your attention and encourage change. But for true, long-lasting conversion on matters of importance, these persuasive techniques must be supplemented by support from somebody you trust. Now, combine this with the fact that humans have an ingrained fear of alienation. This is Kat talking, not the article. You have a perfect storm for cult leaders' ability to exploit good people to do seemingly insane things. So as I close this, I'm not completely convinced one way or the other that brainwashing is not real. If it is real, it seems to for sure be overused outside of the reality of what it is. And if it's not real, I still believe in manipulation and I still believe conditioning exists. But I also believe while that exists, we simultaneously play a part in it. And my takeaway in a lot of this and a lot of the research and a lot of the reading and the listening to the podcast and watching the documentaries, my takeaway in a lot of this is that the problem here doesn't really seem to be brainwashing at all. The problem's twofold. One, there's no way that I have found, we haven't talked about this in a while, what makes a cult a cult. There's no way that I have found to separate a dangerous, harmful cult from a new, more rare sect of religion or a different way of living life. When something's labeled a cult, it automatically gets a stamp of disapproval from anybody outside of it or anybody who's calling it that. And then that group loses credibility for their sanity and the ability to think on their own. So I think the fact that we don't really have a way to separate, like, is a cult universally bad or is it a way to describe something that we just don't like? 
And just because we don't like the way that somebody's living their life, do we need to act like they can't think for themselves? And the second part is when it comes to people joining harmful and dangerous cults, the ones that end in the mass suicides, the ones that end in a horrible relationship with food and ways of engaging in in diets that actually can kill you. When it comes to joining those cults, the problem rather seems to be a combination of people wanting something better than the current world we're living in, wanting to belong to something that promises connection and safety, which we should all have an opportunity to find in a healthy way. So it's the fact that so many people can't find that and are longing for that. Essentially, the loneliness epidemic is part of that, that we're living in currently. And then that combined with the ability to exploit these things for personal gain by what appears to be mentally disillusioned leaders. And now cult leaders, that's a whole other subject. That's a whole other podcast. And that's a whole other thing. But that's what I see is, is the problems here, that we can't really define what's right, what's wrong. And where are we just being judgmental and, and where are we afraid for people's safety? And that there are a lot of people that are just looking at the world and wanting something better. And then there's a lot of people that are looking at those people saying like, I can exploit that, that really authentic desire. So if anything, I hope that this episode just got you thinking. I hope that it was interesting. I hope it made you kind of question some maybe beliefs that you've taken on without giving them second thought. I mean, even as a therapist, me hearing the term brainwashing throughout my life, I've never been like, oh, is that really a thing? Can people's brains actually be washed? Do people really lose complete control or is there more nuance to it? And do we need to give those people more credit? And I don't know. I just hope that it got you asking some questions. Again, I highly recommend reading that book. I highly recommend listening to her podcast. It's actually really good. And she does it with a comedian. And she goes through things like that are in mainstream culture that I don't think anybody would say like those are going to actually long-term hurt people like soul cycle and, and different gyms and different things like that. So I highly recommend that. I will link all the articles that I talked about. And if you have any questions, these are questions that I might not necessarily know the answer to right off the bat. But if you have any questions about cults, or if you have an experience that you've been in something that felt like a cult, or you've seen a friend or a family member join a cult, send me an email. And if I don't know the answer, I will try to find a way, I will find a way to answer it in a responsible manner. So have the day you need to have, have the week you need to have. I'm definitely going to have the day I need to have today because I'm on vacation and uh, I'm taking a little bit of time off of work and then I'm going to go to the beach. So I'm having all the days I need to have. I hope you guys have those days and email me Catherine at unitherapypodcast.com. You can follow me at cat.defada and at unitherapypodcast. And you can rate this podcast if you feel like you're being called to do that. I won't brainwash you into doing that. So again, have the day you have. I will talk to you guys on Wednesday for Couch Talks. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? 
I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right. 